This morning's scripture is from Colossians chapter 3, verses uh, let's see, 12 through 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You may be seated. Thank you, praise team. Let's go to our God in prayer. And as we do so, let's uh, be praying for our college students. I think most of our college students are heading back to campus this week. I know Clayton's getting ready to leave, and uh, Zach leaves on Saturday, a few others, and uh, some first-time college students. And so let's be praying for them as they... Uh, uh, Wyatt, when do you leave? Do you leave this, this week as well? Yeah, all right. Well, let's go to our God in prayer. Father, we, uh, we come before you. Uh, we're so thankful. So thankful for you, for your grace, for your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. We thank you that you've given us life. And we gather here together as those who worship you, as children of the living King, with an opportunity to serve you, to sing praises to your name, to walk in obedience to you. Father, I pray for our college students that are heading out this week. We uh, just thank you for this summer, for the opportunity we've had to spend some time with them and for them to be able to worship here with us and to walk side by side together as we serve you. We pray for them as they head back to their campuses. Lord, that uh, you would help them to keep in your word, that they would be a light shining in, in some very dark places. And so help them to walk with you. We pray for your blessing on their semester and that, um, that you be with their parents as they, um, as they head out. Then, Father, as we turn our attention here in the service to your word, Lord, teach us. Help us to walk with you. As we look at this book of Colossians, this wonderful book that, that shows us this amazing walk that we have with Jesus Christ, the one who is greater, I pray that you would help us to see what that walk looks like. And you would help us to see where we might be not quite walking in step as we ought to. And might we be able to change that pace to match it with Jesus and what he's called us to be. It's in your precious name we ask these things. Amen. You know, I, I've desired to preach through the book of Colossians for several years now, but up until this time, just really hasn't, it hasn't been the right time. So I really have been enjoying being able to share in this with you. Uh, we've now been in this letter about the preeminence of Jesus Christ for three months now. And over the most of that text, in chapters 1 and 2, we've been, uh, Paul and Timothy have been sharing a, a good dose of, of doctrine with the Colossian church and with us. We've seen the importance of Jesus having first place in, in everything. He has to have first place because He is above all things. He is before all things. He's the Creator of all things. He's the One who holds all things together and sustains us. And He is the head of the church. 
He's superior to all things, and therefore all the other offers that the world gives to you that says hey, there's something better than Jesus here, come, come follow this. And all the claims that it gives to you that there's something else better need to be passed by by us and rejected because Jesus is greater than. But this last couple of weeks, we've been... We've really been swimming in the application of those two chapters. Once we crossed into chapter 3, we saw a lot of the, the application to that doctrine and how it personally impacts our lives. And we see that chapter 3 and chapter 4 show us how Jesus must have first place in my life. He has to have first place in my life. If He is as great as everything else we've been saying about Him and that Colossians teaches us about Him, then my life needs to reflect those truths. If you've been raised with Jesus from the dead, and you have, if your faith is in Him alone, then the preeminence of Jesus must change the way that you live. He is greater than. He gives us greater purpose, which means that we must die on purpose to sin and to our old self, and we need to live on purpose for Christ. So Paul and Timothy have been giving us uh, a couple illustrations, primary illustrations from life that we've looked at so far, and showing us what dying on purpose looks like. First week, we are called to put sin to death. As you face temptations, particularly sexual temptation, it, it often, it's often helpful to remind ourselves that, that it must be killed. Has, we have to kill it, we're, we're told. Sin is your sworn enemy, and in order to reckon yourself dead to sin, it requires radical and oftentimes painful steps to separate yourself from what your physical body craves and desires in spite of God's commands. But your spirit also knows it will only destroy. And so Colossians teaches us that, to, that we are to put these sins to death in our lives. And then he uses a second illustration, and he talks about what we are called to, that we're called to put sin off, put it away. And the picture is of removing stained, soiled clothes. I want you to picture the dirtiest that you have ever been in your life, and think, think about how horrible those clothes were that you were wearing. I remember we had a youth group when I was, um, just came back out of college, uh, our youth pastor, at the church I grew up and decided, you know, we're, we're going to have what we call a dirty, gross, disgusting, grimy uh, youth activity. I can't remember what the whole thing was, but every activity had something gross and disastrous, and, and we were doing the limbo through a mud pit. Um, they, they were doing slip and slides down like a vegetable oil, cottage cheese, lemonade mix, and then it all got left out on Saturday because it was too dark to clean up, and so when everybody came to church on Sunday... It was really gross and disgusting. And everybody took those clothes home, and, and rather than try washing them, it was so disgusting, so horrible, everybody just threw away what they were wearing that day. And that's the picture that Paul gives for us here in Colossians. You, you need to put those things to the side, not so that you can reuse it later, not like a toy in a toy box that I pull out at a, at a later time, but, but I need to destroy it, throw it in the trash, get rid of it. These clothes have to be taken off and probably gotten rid of. Remove anger. Remove wrath. Remove hurtful words that come from your mouth. Getting rid of those things requires that you continuously, daily, make a choice to no longer wear those sins around your neck. They are inappropriate for you who have been raised with Christ to new life. And that brings us to our third word picture in which we are called to put on. You may have noticed that I forgot something today. 
I heard a few people saying some things as I passed by. Uh, I got a couple of remarks. I got one person told me I looked like death warmed over. Some of you might have even felt a little bit uncomfortable because I'm not wearing a suit today. What happened to the tie? What happened to the nice shoes? Certainly, this is the most dressed down that I've ever been on a Sunday, and I think the first time I haven't shaved or brushed my hair in the morning. And I know some of you felt a little bit uncomfortable as you walked in and you saw Pastor Jeff and went, what's up? I had five or six people specifically say something to me about it. I'm jeans and t-shirt for three reasons today. Number one, I'm dressed down because I made a joke about pastors wearing jeans a couple weeks ago, and I wanted to clarify that, that how they dress doesn't make them less or better pastors than, uh, as, than, than I might be. More than anything else, most of them just look better than I do in jeans, and so I need as much help as I can possibly get. I'm dressed down, number two, because I want to emphasize that what we wear on the outside doesn't impress your Creator. We, we oftentimes get this idea that, that I have to dress fine in order to, to please my God. Uh, and I think that it's important for us to put aside our, our grungy clothes and to put um, effort into what we wear on Sundays just because our God's worthy. He's worthy of, of our honor and, and, and stepping it up is a practical way for us to remind ourselves that, that I just don't treat Him flippantly. I don't normally get up and, and not get ready for church like obviously I have today. He's worthy of my honor. And so it is important that we, that we pay attention to it. Uh, as your pastor, it's probably important that I'm professional, which is probably the bigger thing that made a lot of you uncomfortable today. But, but, how, much, but how much more is my God worthy of me showing Him the same kind of respect? But no matter how we dress, whether dressing in jeans is nice for you, different cultures dress in different ways, we, we have to remember that what we wear to church is not what Jesus is most concerned about. He is, he is more concerned with what your heart looks like. He is more concerned with the sins that you put off and the works of righteousness that you put on. Number three, I'm dressed down a bit today because I wanted to get your attention as we turn to Colossians chapter 3. And I specifically wanted you to turn your attention to what this passage is saying and the illustration that he's using. And then the next time you're struggling with those, I want you to picture this. And picture how unprofessional and inappropriate it might be. Imagine if I came to your wedding looking like this. You'd go, wow. You know, really didn't pay attention. Didn't, didn't have any desire to, to, to really honor the, 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 the couple today, did you? We, we have to think in terms of what is appropriate and what is not appropriate for those who have been raised with Christ. And I think that's part of the picture as Paul tells us that these are the things that you have to put off. They are not appropriate for you as a believer in Jesus Christ. And these are the things that you have to put on because of who you are. This is what you are supposed to look like. In verse 12, Paul identifies who the Colossians and who you are. He says that you are chosen ones, holy and beloved. Those are all three terms that are used to describe Israel in the Old Testament. God set them apart for a specific purpose and He loved them. But there wasn't anything unique about the, about the Israelites that made them an attractive people for God's choosing. God didn't look at them and go, wow, where's the best nation in the earth? Of the Israelites, I'm going to pick them. He, he took a, a country, a, a people that were insignificant, small, that, 
that weren't walking with Him. He called them out of idolatry. And He says, I am going to take something that's ordinary and I'm going to do something incredibly significant. I am going to, to call Israel in order to show what supernatural wonder I can accomplish with something that is such as an ordinary as this people. And that's also why He chose you. That's why He chose me. He took us and he, He's accomplishing supernatural change inside each one of our hearts. He gave us life where there was only death. And now we are called to be something different. He also calls you chosen ones. No believer became Christian solely by their own choice. We're taught in Scripture that He chose us from the foundation of the world. And if you are a Christian, this means that He has called you and He has saved you. The doctrine of election, it, it crushes human pride. It exalts God. And it should produce joy and gratitude for the believer. Election grants eternal privilege and assurance. It promotes holiness. And it makes us bold and courageous. We have absolutely no need to fear the enemy or anyone anymore because we are God's chosen people. It says that you are holy. That means that you've been set apart for a certain purpose. We have a bucket that sits at our back door that we would take and we'd fill with water and we'd go feed the chickens and it would get splashed and get gunky and, and then it would be used for that purpose again. But I, I'm pretty sure that Angie doesn't use that when she boils water or, or makes potatoes or macaroni for the kids. Different kind of bucket. We're, we, we use different utensils. They've been set apart for a certain purpose. You don't, you don't cross those. Uh, and in the same way, you've been set apart for a specific purpose and you are no longer to be used for what you used to be used for. God has called you to something that is beautiful, something that is pure. He also says that you're beloved. God loves you. He has chosen to lavish His grace upon you. So let me ask you a question. If you are a subject in a kingdom and you are forgotten and you are ordinary, you are an unknown how will you walk through the streets? How does that change when you were chosen by the King? When you were called to serve as His ambassador? When you were adopted as the King's sons and daughters? How does that change the way that you dress? The way that you used to dress would be inappropriate for one who is an ambassador of the Kingdom. The way that you used to dress would be inappropriate as a, as a son and daughter of God. Again, as a follower of Jesus, there is a behavior and there are words and there are heart attitudes that are inappropriate for you to walk about in. And in Colossians, it says that we are to put to death sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. We are to put off anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. This is no longer who you are and no longer the way that you are to act. But just as important as what you consciously decide to remove are the things that you consciously decide to put on. It was Mark Twain that said, clothes make the man. Naked people have little or no influence on society. As a follower of Jesus, it's important that we don't just put off certain things. It's important that we don't just remove the old clothes. It is just as important as what we put on. And so you are to be remarkable because of what you put on 
as the, they are to be just as remarkable as the sins that you put off and to toss aside into the trash. Let's take a look at what your new clothes look like. First of all, he says, put on compassionate hearts. Put on compassionate hearts. For Americans, the heart is the center of the emotions. When we talk about different body parts, we usually think in terms of, in terms of the mind we, we associate with the brain, in terms of, of how we feel and the emotions that we have. We, we think of the heart. But in the world of the Colossians, uh, they saw the bowels as where the, the emotions were. The, it was the, the intestines and the gut. Uh, we would say you have, you have a gut feeling. Um, and, and so that's the word that's actually used in the original language. He, he actually says that... Um, you are to put on compassionate bowels. But that just doesn't quite translate very well in English, does it? The point is this, though. Compassion involves the feelings. Not just your head. As you interact with one another, and as you interact with a fallen world full of people who are hurting, that are torn apart, you are called to be the people of God. And this means feeling the pain of others. It means demonstrating mercy. One of the greatest glories of God's people is the tenderness of heart that accomplishes, that, excuse me, that accompanies the good news. Oftentimes people are in great need, and the grief, the, their grief is, is it's heavy to bear, it's heavy to share. Sometimes people have physical needs that make them seem unlovable, or they seem like a burden to others. There are many that you're going to come across that are going to wallow in their sin. And it's often our first impulse to look at a person's pain and to look at their unkemptness, to look at how they smell, to look at how I might be better than they are now or think that I'm better than they are. And I look down and I judge. We protect ourselves from others. We put up walls so that, that, that we can escape from the pain that is so evident in other people's lives. We have enough pain in our own lives. And so we, we try to protect ourselves from that. And as God's people, God says, I'm calling you to something different. I'm calling you to have compassionate hearts. Hearts that feel with others. God calls you to a higher purpose. He mandates that you, are con- that you consciously decide to put on compassionate intestines. Compassionate hearts. Several times when Jesus saw the crowds, He told His disciples, I have compassion on them. And it was the disciples. Do you remember them? Over and over and over again. They, they tried protecting Jesus. They'd send the kids away. They'd try to hide the unlovables. And Jesus continually, continually went outside of that, that buffer zone. And He says, I, I feel for them. It hurts. And I have compassion on them. Jesus always was reaching out to people in their pain in their need. Remember the, one of the first miracles that He performed was at a, a funeral. He, he went to a, a funeral and there was a widow who had lost her son. And what does it say about Jesus? As He was walking by, He had compassion on her. He felt her pain. And He reached out and He did something for her. Jesus expects us to feel the pain of others. To feel their hurts. And to to show that same mercy and kindness. That same compassion. Number two, he says, put on kindness. Now, kindness doesn't come naturally to most of us, does it? All, all, and it requires many of you to fight your flesh. And you will have to intentionally choose against the propensity to do the opposite. For all of us, we, we must put it on. 
Making it even harder, we live in the midst of a people who oftentimes do very hateful things. We live right now in a culture that says just cancel people. Don't show kindness to people, but, but cancel them. Destroy them. Do everything you can to make their life absolutely miserable. And God says, that's not what I've called you to be and to do. I expect kindness from you. We live in a world where people will not treat you with kindness. Not for free. Not if they don't get something in return typically. But God's people return kindness and return for evil. Micah expressed it so well and said, He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? And so don't just act kindly, but learn to love it. Learn to love kindness. Ray Stedman preached, kindness is action that reveals compassion. Action that arises out of a sense of sympathy. It can take many different forms. A smile, a kind word, a pat on the shoulder, an invitation to lunch, an offer to help. We are to put on compassion and kindness as we start our day and throughout the day. The third thing that we're commanded to put on is humility. Humility is the opposite of one of the worst of our sins, pride. Pride looks down on others and it brings me to a place where I think more highly of myself than I ought. But humility allows me to see God as He truly is. Humility helps me to see and view my life as God sees it. And humility allows me to view and consider others as more significant than myself. So put on humility. It is appropriate attire for the children of the King. Put on meekness. I think this is probably one of the, the uh, biggest misunderstood words in the Bible. Uh, meekness is, is quite misunderstood. Many confuse it with weakness and the absence of strength. We're told that Jesus was meek. He commanded us to be meek. He says that the meek will inherit the earth. But weakness is not a term that's ever used to describe Jesus. I looked us up. I couldn't find anything where anywhere Jesus is described as someone who is weak. He's described as meek, but never one who was weak. He was a man of strength, both in body and in spirit. Biblical meekness, though, it, it comes out of submission to our God. It contains gentleness. In fact, your Bible might translate it as gentleness. Perhaps the best definition that I've heard for meekness is that it is strength under control. Strength under control. Pastor Gregory Brown noted this about Jesus. He says, when He was accused and lied about, He said nothing. He had His power under control. But when others were harmed and disrespected, He became like a lion. He went into the temple and turned over tables. He used His power only when it was necessary to honor God and protect others. And our Kent Hughes says those wearing, those wearing the true garment of gentleness, meekness, are immensely powerful people for they are controlled by God. Fifth, we are called to put on patience. The fifth article of clothing that Christians wear daily is to be long-suffering. Patience puts up with others. It endures wrongs rather than lashes out in revenge. It's difficult because in our pride, how do we usually feel when someone wrongs us? We, we feel entitled. 
We feel like I've been offended by them, that they've wronged me, that they've taken something that belongs to me. And so we, we defend ourselves and we feel entitled about, about ourselves, entitled about ourselves. We justify ourselves. But patience is a buffer for, is a buffer to wrongdoing and all that is ugly in this world. Without patience, it is much more difficult to have compassion, to show kindness, to demonstrate humility, and to walk in meekness. And so put on patience. Now, Paul anticipates that people are going to react to the clothes that Christians are supposed to wear. And again, I'm not talking about the cloth that we hang from our bodies, but, but the righteousness that's lived out in daily life. These are the clothes that God cares about most. But in, in our flesh, how do we react? Someone wrongs you. Somebody mistreats you. In our flesh, we don't like being kind. We don't like to, um, to respond in humility. Our typical response is, you know, that's not fair. I venture to guess that for some of us, that as we look at this list of, of, of what God has called us to be and to do, perhaps your conscience has been pricked as mine has. We've, we've listened to this list of what we have to put on and perhaps your mind has pictured some people that you need to demonstrate these things to. Maybe there's someone that you haven't been kind to. Maybe there's someone that you haven't demonstrated humility with. Perhaps there's somebody that, that um, you haven't been patient towards. Perhaps your mind has come up with some arguments as to why they don't deserve your compassion. Maybe you're thinking, I'll, I'll show them some strength under control. God knows our hearts and He knows to struggle. And so He gives us a reminder of how to care for our new clothes. And the, the care instructions come with two other qualities. First, as you care for your new clothes, He calls you to use forbearance. Look at what the text says again. Chapter 3, verse 14, excuse me, verse 13. He says, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Forbearance means enduring other people along with their weaknesses and their idiosyncrasies. It goes hand in hand with patience. It doesn't mean that you excuse or that you justify sin, but, but forbearance comes face to face with people in their awkwardness, with their weird habits, their annoying behavior, those people that maybe you just don't want to spend a lot of time with, those people that God says these are the ones that in particular you need to demonstrate compassion to and patience with. It chooses to recognize, forbearance does, it chooses to recognize that none of us are yet what God is making us into being. And so we move past what offends and we choose to put on compassion. We move past what offends and how people wrong us. And we put on kindness. We move past what causes our pride within us. And we put on humility. We put on meekness. And we put on patience anyway in spite of what we may think or feel about others. Back in the days before smoking sections were on planes, but they removed smoking altogether, a passenger started to light a cigar when the stewardess informed him that his cigar smoking was not allowed unless it was all right with the other person in the immediate area. She says, do you object to his smoking? She asked the woman seated next to the man, and she says, I absolutely detest cigars. 
That was the stony reply. And so the stewardess then spoke to a young man near the front of the cabin and came back to, the, to, the, to report that he, he would not mind sitting next to a cigar smoker. And as the cigar smoking man walked towards his new seat, his former seatmate, the boisterous woman, turned to the stewardess and confided, I've been married to that man for 30 years and I still can't, still can't stand his awful cigars. Use forbearance. Maybe not when it comes to cigars on a plane. Forbearance means enduring other people along with their weaknesses and their idiosyncrasies. Even your spouse that you've been married to for 30 years. Forbearance goes hand in hand with patience. It, it doesn't mean to, again, doesn't mean to excuse or justify sin, but it comes face to face with the awkwardness of people. A second tool for caring for your new clothes works very closely with the first. Verse 13 goes on to talk about, about uh, if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. You see, forbearance leads us to endure others when they are wrong or are just annoying to us, but forgiveness moves on from the offense and it, 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 it puts the complaint aside. Certainly, it's appropriate to deal with sin and offenses. In fact, Jesus commanded us to begin by going and talking to one another by starting in private. But whatever their response and whatever they, whether they ask for forgiveness, whether they acknowledge their sin, whether they acknowledge their offense, whatever happens as a result of those conversations, it is to be freely extended and forgiveness is never to be taken back. And then Paul reminds the Colossians of the great forgiveness that they had been given by God. He says, look look at everything that God has done to demonstrate forbearance to you. How often every day does, does God not dwell on the things that you do that are annoying? The wrongs that you commit against Him? How often does God forgive you for the things and ways in which you have sinned against Him? It's in the last chapter of the Old Testament, Micah, excuse me, Micah chapter 7, verse 19. It's the second to the last verse of the Old Testament. It tells us this about God. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. How much has God forgiven you? He's taken your sins and He's cast them to the bottom of the ocean. And as Corey Ten Boom used to say, God also puts up a sign that says no fishing. Our sin is gone. And so we must forgive others before he moves on god gives us one more piece of one more piece of clothing to complete our attire look at verse 14 he says above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony you see love is the belt that holds up all these other pieces of clothing it completes the outfit which God has given to you and it binds them all together. It's the quality that provides the motive for living out compassion. Love gives us the vision to see others as God sees them so that we can retali- retaliate with kindness. It shows us how God sees others and thus it undergirds humility. God's love gives us the strength and then the ability to walk with it in meekness. And in God's love, He has shown us forbearance and forgiveness so that patience overflows from our relationship with Him. Love is unconditional. It's the unconditional giving of oneself for another without reservation or the thought of getting something in return. We have to put on love over 
and over and over again. Wear it. Wear it with grace. And remember the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And once again, there's too much here to pack into one sermon. And so we'll have to save the last three verses of our passage for next week when we'll consider some of the things that we are not only called to put on, but the things that we are to put in. We've taken some time to consider what things we must take off. And God says, get rid of them. Don't put them aside in order to pull them out another day, but put off the sins that defined who you used to be and cast them into the trash heap. And here we see the things that we are called to put on. This is the attire that is befitting the sons and the daughters of God. And I know that some of these things are difficult. You look at some of the practical, just everyday living out of kindness, the everyday walking in humility, and that's hard. It's challenging, especially around some of the people that you live with. There are some days that are harder than others, and there are some people that require more forbearance and greater amounts of forgiveness. And so let me encourage you to take advantage of the three illustrations that he's used in this passage that are used over and over again. He says, put to death, put off, and put on. If the vices that we looked at over the last two weeks are hounding you, and if the graces that we described today are eluding you, I'd like to encourage you to first, number one, before you try to to do all this in your own effort, make sure that that you have the life that's described here in Colossians. I'd like to encourage you, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, or you're not sure what this forgiveness is and what Jesus accomplished on the cross, if all this is new to you or you haven't yet responded to Him, then you are not going to have the power to walk in these things. And so my first challenge to you is examine your heart and make sure that your faith is in the finished work of Jesus and that alone. But then secondly, daily, I encourage you to walk through through these things the first thing in the morning. If you're struggling with some of these things or those temptations continue to come your way or you continue finding yourself lashing out in anger, take this list Write this list down on a piece of paper. Better yet, hide it on the, write it on the tablet of your heart. Or do both. And then every morning, go through that list and kill them. Put them off. Remove them. And put these qualities on. If it helps, mentally picture yourself removing the old and putting on the new. Choose the clothing provided to you by your Savior. I'm not usually a big person that's big on visualizing things, but here in our passage, I think that Paul, that God invites us to that. He invites you to picture yourself removing those things and putting something new on as a believer in Jesus Christ. You're invited to see yourself wearing the right clothes. Put them on, and may you wear them well. Jesus, we thank You for Your provision. We thank You that You have provided the power to, so that we might walk in You. 
That you've not only just left us here by ourselves, you didn't just go away to prepare a place for us, but you sent us your Spirit who resides in us, who lives inside your people, who fills us as we pay attention to your words in Scripture and as we walk in obedience to them. You've given us instructions that we might know You, that we might know ourselves, that we might know how this walk is supposed to be lived out. And so we thank You for all the provisions that You've made. We thank You for providing clothes that are appropriate for Your people. It's not just in the suits and the ties that we wear. It's not just in looking nice. We want to honor You in those things too, but we understand that the most important clothes that you're concerned about are our white robes of righteousness and these qualities of grace that we are to walk in and to live in and to put on. And so, Holy Spirit, please convict us. Show us those areas where we're not being kind. Show us those people that we are not compassionate towards. Show us those that we struggle with humility towards. Help us to love one another. Teach us what it means to put these things on and might we live that out daily for Your honor and for Your glory. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?